Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Chamat Karsandu come in with a whole load of MMA news this week. It is a pack show. Every week I always end up um, hitting up Sandu on, on WhatsApp and it normally starts out with the same sort of line. It's like, should be a quick show this week, Sandu, and it always ends up running an hour no matter what happens. I didn't do that today because, my goodness me, we've got some new Sandu and lots of it. Absolutely. We had a lot to talk about, a lot to digest and discuss even prior to the plethora of news that was announced today and we're going to get all into it but I think there's only one place to start and that's the action from this past weekend, correct? Yeah, absolutely. UFC 250 went down. First ever UFC pay-per-view event at the UFC Apex. A little bit of history made there and there was a bit more history made as well. Amanda Nunes made history as the first ever UFC champ champ to successfully defend both their titles while an active champion. It's a bit of a wordy record because we've seen other champ champs defend both their belts, but not while they've held them both concurrently. That's the record that Amanda Nunes holds by herself. She dominated Felicia Spencer. Um, it was getting a little bit uncomfortable towards the end of that fight. I'm not going to lie. Felicia Spencer, tough as old boots, could take a shot really well. Never looked really badly rocked in the fight but just took a constant barrage of strikes from Nunes over the course of the fight and it was almost like Nunes even backed off a little bit towards the end of it it almost looked like that um, but a dominant performance from Amanda Nunes we also had big wins for Cody Garbrandt, Aljamain Sterling and Sugar Sean O'Malley let's talk about all of those but first off Sandu your your uh, your take on Amanda Nunes because the UFC matchmakers are rapidly running into problems here because who on earth are they going to put her in with next? Everybody who's ever held a belt, Sandu, in the women's 135-pound division and 145-pound division has been finished in the first round by Amanda Nunes. And now she's wiping out all the other contenders as she goes. What on earth do they do with her next? It's a, it's a problem, but I think it's a good problem to have. I mean, when you have a dominant champion just wiping out everyone, not only in her division, but in, in the division above where she also holds the title, it's um, that's the kind of, I guess, good problem you want to have as a matchmaker because that's when you have to kind of get your thinking cap on. You have to start to figure out the roster. Now, it's a little bit easier, I'd say, at Bantamweight where there's actually a roster to work with. It's a little bit tricky at Featherweight when... There's no rankings. There isn't really a, a roster at all. There's literally a handful of fighters. And by the way, it's pretty easy. It's probably going to be Megan Anderson next, if, if, if we're being kind of uh, fair with regards to who's available, who she's fought, who she hasn't fought. So that makes sense. Uh, bantamweight, I would have loved to have seen Irene Aldana get the next shot. However, in the last couple of days, there's been reports of and confirmed that Irene Aldana is now going to fight Holly Holm on August 1st. So if all goes well there, I think the next fight for Amanda Nunes should be back down at 135 pounds and to take on Irene Aldana should she beat Holly Holm. That's, that's where I think things should kind of progress for her. The best thing in a roundabout way that's probably come out of this weekend's action is the fact that Amanda Nunes is probably not going to fight again in 2020. Uh, she has some uh, shin and leg injuries that she's got to take care of. Her partner, Nina Ansaroff, is about to give birth to their very first child in a matter of months, I believe it is. September, and I think, yeah. There you go. And so I think if Amanda just kind of sits back, waits, and comes back in 2021, we should have a better idea and a clearer picture with regards to 
who she should be fighting next in what weight class. And so I think the only thing that the UFC needs to do with regards to featherweight is find an opponent for Megan Anderson, keep her busy. I think if Megan were to fight Amanda Nunes now, I think she'd still be a little bit out of her depth. I think she needs just a little bit more experience. And so if they can book her a fight uh, at some point in the second half of this year, that'd be great. But right now, Amanda Nunes, she's the greatest you know, female fighter of all time, hands down, easy. She's got all the records, all the titles, uh, and uh, it's very much deserved. She, she, she just dominates every time she's in the octagon. And, you know, the performance against Felicia Spencer was probably arguably her best performance of her career and one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen, period. Yeah, I mean, the thing that it showed was the past criticisms of Amanda Nunes are now, they're, you know, they're, they're long, long gone. I mean, Amanda Nunes used to be thought of as a fighter. She was very dangerous early on. But if you could drag her into the later rounds, the gas tank would gradually start to sort of run empty. And that's when you could maybe take advantage. And to some degree, we saw that in the two fights with Valentina Shevchenko, who pushed her so, so close. Um, and indeed, I thought Shevchenko edged their second fight. So it was, it was... It was one of those where you just looked at Amanda Nunes and she re- I think she realized early on that she wasn't going to knock Felicia Spencer out because she hit her with all of her best all of her best stuff early and Felicia just kept on coming forward. But also Felicia wasn't really doing anything that gave Nunes any kind of concern. So then what we saw was someone keeping up a solid pace to make sure she won every round and indeed she won one of them with a 10-8 on two scorecards. There's an argument that she could have won more 10-8 rounds than she did. Uh, the scores read 50-44, 50-44, 50-45. But what we saw was someone who kept the pace all the way through five rounds. It wasn't a slow-paced fight by any means. She kept the pace up and uh, she looked dominant. The thing for me, Sandu, I think there are two challenges out there for her. If we, if we rule out the whole Clarissa Shields boxing crossover idea, which has a certain appeal to it because... Um, I spoke to Caressa Shields in Vegas um, in January, I think it was, at 2.46. I think she was a guest a guest at that event. Um, and uh, she's offered to fight in MMA and in boxing. She said we should do one of each and, and do it fairly. So that idea appeals to me. But if we take that off the table for now, there are two options that I think would make for a really entertaining matchup. The problem is only one of them is feasible right now, and it's been it's been ruled out by Dana White, and that's a, that's the trilogy fight. Well, I say trilogy fight, third fight with Valentina Shevchenko. She's the UFC contracted fighter who has pushed Amanda harder than anybody else in her entire in her entire sort of top end career. And the other fight, which isn't going to happen now, but might happen, maybe sometime in twenty twenty one. Who knows? Um, is Kayla Harrison. I think Kayla Harrison might just be the kryptonite for Amanda Nunes. We don't know how well Kayla can take a massive punch because she hasn't fought someone with that sort of destructive punch power that Amanda has. But Kayla Harrison would be a very interesting get for the UFC. If they could somehow get her signed to the UFC in the next 12 to 18 months, that would be a fascinating matchup for Amanda Nunes. A legit 45er as well. Uh, well, well, she's a 55er, but I think she said she could get down to 45. So that would be a fascinating matchup and would give Amanda Nunes, I think, the toughest test of her career. As things stand right now, Irina uh, Aldana is probably 
the uh, the next test, as you said, at Bantam uh, at Bantamweight. Featherweight is Megan Anderson. Um, there is an argument that if if Amanda Nunes gets fit quick enough, she could squeeze a featherweight fight in before September, um, and uh, then you know it's another it's another payday before taking some time out to uh, get used to get used to parenthood for a bit. But uh, yeah, it's great great news for Amanda Nunes. She you know she's got she's got the whole world looking at her right now, and she's way way above everybody else in uh, women's mixed martial arts. That was the main event, Sandy. The co-main event. In fact, let's talk about the co-main and the fight that immediately preceded it because the uh, they both produced spectacular finishes. One was a knockout, one was a submission. They both saw contenders really push their claims for a, a shot at the belt. The co-main event was Cody Garbrandt versus Rafael Asuncao. We talked about this on the previous show. Asuncao's been around for years and has never really got his chance. This was the chance for him to prove uh, much like when Michael Bisping fought Anderson Silva, this was Rafael Asuncao's chance to say, here's me beating a guy who held the gold and proving that I could have been that guy. Unfortunately, that didn't go his way. Cody Garbrandt sparked him with a buzzer beater at the end of the second round. Huge knockout. And then a fight before that, Aljamain Sterling um, putting on a clinic against Corey Sanhagen. Um, I, I, I picked Sterling in my junkie picks. But I looked at the betting ahead of it, and that when I did my uh, tipping piece for Paddy Power, I actually said Corey Sanhagen by decision. Um, so I kind of hedged my bets a little bit. But Aljamain Sterling was outstanding in that fight, and left very little doubt for me, you know, for my money that he's the number one contender. But break down those two finishes for us, Sandu, and how you felt that they affect the bantamweight picture moving forward, because. This is probably the most exciting weight class in the UFC right now. It's definitely up there. It's a shark tank. It's just full of killers. And we're going to get to Sean O'Malley, I guess, a little bit later on, who had another great performance in that same division. But Aljamain Sterling, he has solidified himself as the number one guy to fight for the title next. Now, you could make a case that the UFC should have just gone ahead and thrown a second title fight on this card and and made Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen for the title. They decided to go for Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo, which we're going to get to a little bit later on the show as well. But Aljamain Sterling, he has got himself in a great spot now where he had a great performance against uh, someone else that's that was basically in and around the same area of him in terms of uh, ability, rankings, and I guess uh, also someone else that was potentially pushing himself to, to get a title shot as well. So honestly, I didn't know that's what the out- outcome was going to be to, to wrap up a submission on Corey's Handhagen within 90 seconds, that's world-class. That is arguably the best performance of Aljamain Sterling's career. He then goes on, has a really fun post-fight interview, um, which produced a nice bit of social content for those that were paying attention. Um, and I have to give a little bit of credit to Aljamain Sterling as well, because before the post-fight interview began, he took the time to kind of address what's been happening in in the US and obviously we had a pretty heavy show last week to discuss that but I love seeing athletes kind of put themselves out there and 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 talk about issues and and causes that um, mean a lot to them in a moment where the spotlight is the brightest on them right so I take my hat off to Aljamain Sterling there I can't wait to see him 
uh, fight the winner of Aldo versus Peter Yan because I really feel like with Sterling, they've got the entire package there. He's, he's a great talker. He's got a great fighter. He's got tons of personality. got great charisma. He's young. So tons of upside. I don't know what the ceiling is uh, for him because I feel like since that knockout loss to Marlon Moraes, this is a completely different fighter. So great performance from Aljamain Sterling. Can't wait to see what happens for him uh, in 2020. Cody Garbrandt, on the other hand, a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure was on him to come in and perform because he was riding a three-fight losing streak and they put him in that co-main event spot. So, you know, there was a big spotlight on him. He delivered one of the most devastating gangster knockouts I've ever seen. A second to go before the end of the second round. This man has dynamite in both hands and i feel like his overall mixed martial arts game still has areas to improve but man to to do what he did to rafael Sansa and the fashion that he did he basically announced hey i'm back i'm here i'm still relevant i don't see cody fighting for the title shot anytime soon i think you do some careful matchmaking with him um but it's great to see cody back honestly it really is because he is one of the other stars of that bantamweight division, former champion, another guy that the UFC put a lot of you know promotional hustle and muscle behind when he was champion and he was on the come up. So, all in all, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better uh, result if you're the UFC to see a contender come up and solidify that number one spot, and also a former champion come back and reannounce himself to the world. Yeah, Rafael Asuncao, 35th career fight that was. But that was only the second time he'd ever been knocked out. So that tells you everything you need to know about that crazy KO from Cody Garbrandt. Dynamite, as you say, in both hands. And they're both him and Sterling, uh, classy operators outside of the cage as well. Um, and uh, it's good seeing good people doing well in this sport. And uh, I would put both of those guys in that category. Just running out that main card, Neil Magny defeated Anthony Rocco Martin. Magny's, he, he just won't go away, really. You know, I, I backed against him for that one. I thought Rocco Martin might have enough for him, but not at all. Neil Magny still doing the business at 170, calling out Michael Chiesa again. He's called him out twice now. Um, I think the first time when he called him out, I wasn't so sure. I'm still not 100% sure that Chiesa wants that fight. It doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, for him at this point, I don't think. But that would be an interesting one if they ever booked it. Um, but Neil Magny... What's he called now? The Haitian sensation or something, which is, which is something. Uh, he's been all, <laughs> he's been, he's been uh, in the UFC for, I don't know how long, almost, it feels like forever. And now he turns up with a nickname uh, and it rhymes. So yeah, good, good luck to him with that. And, uh, but Sean O'Malley, sugar, you know, the sugar show. Um, I know that he hasn't wanted to, to talk up his title uh, credentials too early I think he he feels he needs to build his way up and all the rest of it but um, when he puts in performances like the one we saw on Saturday night against Eddie Wineland it's going to be very hard to hold the guy back um, Eddie Wineland was kind of tailor-made for O'Malley really because the way he fights he's a striker he bounces around a lot but he holds his hands very low and he's very upright and O'Malley's got very accurate strikes so once once O'Malley got his timing right bang he uncorked a huge shot and uh, put Wineland on his pants, and and uh, that was the end of it. Great, great knockout from him. And the problem now, Sandu, is what do you do with him next? Um, I mean, I've seen some people suggest that O'Malley versus Garbrandt would be a lot of fun. It would, um, but that would that would be quite a big jump up the rankings for for O'Malley. 
So I don't really know. I mean, what what do you reckon? I mean, do you think he needs to have the rocket boosters put on him straight away? But there's a lot of absolute killers ahead of him in the rankings. Do you just do you just slow play him and just gradually work him into the conversation? I mean, what do you think? I think outside of the the actual fights themselves, if you're the UFC, you try and promote him as best as you can. You, you get him in front of all the kind of the big media outlets, the mainstream outlets, and, and try and tell a story with all of your broadcast partners as best as possible. I think when it comes to matchmaking and the actual fights, you have to kind of slow your roll with him a little bit. Because first of all, the top end of the division is already kind of, I guess, solidified at this stage, isn't it? I mean, you've got Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo booked. You've got Al Jermaine Sterling who's going to fight the winner. That pretty much ties you up for 2020, right? I don't want to see him fight Cody Garbrandt next. I feel like that's a little bit too soon. And again, I think with Cody Garbrandt, you still want to do a little bit of rehab with him and matchmaking and, and to kind of get him ready for maybe a title shot in 2021 if you can string together one or two more wins. With Sugar Sean O'Malley, I think someone like a Cheeto Vera, a, a Song Yudong, someone of that ilk would be great for him to have a step up in competition. Don't get me wrong, Eddie Wineland, a veteran, he's been around for a long time. I think that was some great matchmaking on the UFC's part there. And of course, O'Malley just produced a fantastic one-hitter quitter. And, and had it not been for Cody Garbrandt, we'd be talking about that knockout for days. Um, but Cody kind of stole the spotlight a little bit there with, with his uh, his KO. But I think that's what you do with Sean O'Malley. I mean, he's still he's so young. And, he, and like... He he has got that potential where he's got this overall package again charisma personality he's got a good look he's young he's he's great on the mic he's great in interviews um, and I feel like he's he's almost got this kind of um, aura of this stoned gamer so he's kind of almost tapping into a different audience that some of the other fighters in the UFC roster don't I guess connect with I mean the only other kind of gamer that comes to mind right now that the UFC had was Demetrius Johnson. You know, he had the big uh, Microsoft Xbox sponsorship when he was walking out. And I feel like right now with kind of eSports and eGaming and how big that universe is right now, Sean O'Malley is from that generation. Um, and, you know, there's not many fighters that can kind of tap into both worlds and, and he can. So again, do some careful matchmaking with him, bring him along slowly, but yo, this guy, he is a star in the making. I mean, he could literally be I'm not going to say Conor McGregor level, but mate, not too far off, depending on if, what happens with regards to like results, performances, and and how he can kind of grow himself outside of the sport as well. Yeah, I like the Chito Vera matchup. I think I think that's a that's an ideal, an ideal one. I think stylistically, it's a good one. Victory will then just nudge him into the uh, into the UFC rankings, and uh, then it's onwards and upwards from there. Um, before we move on, I just want to chuck another bantamweight's name into the mix. He actually fought at featherweight on Saturday night. Cody Stamen took on Brian Kelleher. Um, really good fight. Really good fight. If they were dishing out fight at the night awards, that might have had a chance. It was a, it was a, it was a good, it was a good fight. They didn't do a fight at the night bonus, by the way. I, you know, I talk just then as if they don't give them out. They do, but on this particular show, they just gave out a load of um, performance bonuses instead. Uh, but Cody Stamen got the job done, 30-27s across the board, really solid performance. But it wasn't the performance itself that really impressed me. Cody Stamen had an absolute week from hell leading into that. He lost uh, his younger brother, uh, who died in his sleep um, in, in the lead up to the fight. Somehow he managed to keep it together throughout all of fight week. He was even able to tell his story in the, in, in the lead up and still managed to hold things together went in the cage, put on a great performance. 
Uh, and then at the end, it all came flooding out as, as, as you would expect. Um, and, uh, load of respect for Cody Stamen. Um, he's, he's a guy who might not be the biggest name in the bantamweight division, but he is, he's a big lad at 135. Um, and he's going to be a problem for quite a lot of people. So he's, he's in that sort of lower 10 to 15 range, I think in the UFC rankings right now. Um, and uh, there he is, he's 12th currently as I'm looking at them right now. Um, he could be he he could be a factor in 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 the months to come as well, but just wanted to just, I just wanted to give him a bit of a a bit of a mention because absolutely horrific week um, for him to you know for anyone to get in a cage and fight they deserve your respect, but after the week he had, then uh, all credit to him and uh, you know he might not have got an official bonus, but um, I'd love to think that maybe the uh, the UFC might have chucked something his way um, after staying on the card and doing what he did. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else struck you on that on that card. Uh, Devin Clark took a knee before his fight. That was interesting to see on the uh, the fight pass prelims, and and then got a big win as well. Yeah, uh, great shout on Cody Staman. Um, you know, heartbreaking to see um, how he was able to deal with himself, both you know in the in the build up to the fight, the fight itself, but definitely post fight. You know, Joe Rogan was basically fighting back the tears, um, trying to conduct that interview. Um, so my heart goes out to him and his family for what they've gone through. I can't imagine what that, what that must have been like for him. Um, great shout on Devin Clark. Um, not only putting on a great performance against Alonso Menefeld, but you know now that we know um, after the fight he suffered a, a, a fractured or broken orbital um, early on in the fight. So to have gone through all 15 minutes with that injury sustained and to to pull off the victory on the judges' scorecards great performance by him and I guess the only other kind of performance uh, that kind of really stood out for me from that undercard was Alex Casero versus, versus Chase Hooper I think this was a little too much too soon for Chase Hooper I um, mean you can tell you know, this guy's got tons of charisma he does great on social media he, he, he you tell he's a fun fighter uh, and he knows how to handle himself outside of the cage I, he, I just felt like he was out of his depth against a veteran like Alex Caceres. Because at no point in the fight did I feel like Hooper was going to cause Caceres any problems, apart from perhaps a few scrambles on the ground. Um, So I feel like with him, again, you've got to just take your time and he needs to develop his game. Got to remind people, he's only 20 years old. He's only 20 years old. So a lot of upside uh, to, to, to Hooper, but great performance from Alex Caceres. Yeah, definitely. There were there were some actually really good performances on that undercard. Ian Heinish winning by uh, first round TKO over Gerald Mearshart. Uh, Mackie Pitolo, who has one of the better nicknames in the UFC, Coconut Bombs, um, getting himself a second round finish over Charles Bird. Alex Perez earned himself a $50,000 performance of night bonus, finishing long-time flyweight contender Juicy Formiga uh, with leg kicks in the first round. And opening the night, Herbert Burns uh, putting Evan Dunham away like it was just the easiest thing in the world. Took him just 80 seconds to put away Dunham, which is insane when you consider just how seasoned Dunham is. Uh, Herbert Burns looks like he could be a bit of a problem for the uh, UFC's 145-pound division. Uh, Taking out a lightweight in a catchweight fight at 150 and making it look easy. Look out. For the blaze, Herbert Burns, his brother, we will talk about in a little bit. But uh, yeah, that was a fun fight night. It was a fun fight night. I know, uh, you know, we had we had a, a record a record breaker at the top of the card. We had some outstanding bantamweight matchups. 
Um, we had some fun finishes and uh, even the fights that went the distance were entertaining. So I thought all in all, it was an outstanding fight night. And uh, just to round out all the all the business, Cody Garbrandt, Aljamain Sterling, Sugar Sean O'Malley and the aforementioned Alex Perez all picked up $50,000 performance of the night bonuses. And on the topic of dollar bills, Sandu, that's one of the other one of the other big talking points of the week, right? We've we had um, well, we've had a lot going on, to put it bluntly. And uh, I know you've been all over social media, where a lot of this, which has been the battleground for a lot of this, um, run us through it. Being our, our resident social guru, a lot to a lot to go through here. Four of the biggest names in the sport, in different ways, kind of railing against the UFC a little bit. Yeah, so literally minutes after UFC 250 concluded, whilst I guess everyone was in the midst of kind of fawning over and, and applauding Amanda Nunes' performance and what she's done yet again, we had Conor McGregor tweet that he's retiring from fighting. And as a reminder, this is now officially his third retirement via Twitter in the last four years. Uh, the first one was in 2016 and another one in 2019. And now this is the third one. But this is, I guess, the, the, what do you want to call it? The, the tip of the iceberg, the cherry on top of the cake of a few weeks of some of the UFC's biggest stars, you know, being very vocal publicly uh, and being disgruntled in one way, shape or form with the organization. It all essentially started with Henry Cejudo, who retired after defeating Dominic Cruz. And, and although he's retired and, you know, the, the, the championship belt, you know, is going to be contested um, in July and, and the division seems to be moving on, he's, he's kind of keeping himself out there. He's keeping himself in the mix with regards to, oh, well, I, I'll come back if this or I'll come back if that. And the latest one is uh, from earlier on today. I saw him say he'll come back to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, to become the very first fighter in UFC history to win titles in three different weight classes, and so and, and you know and he has mentioned pay and you know how much he wants to get compensated for for fighting in the past as well. So it started with Henry Cejudo, and then of course we had the big public spat uh, with John Jones going on a tweetathon, just kind of I guess I guess just um, sharing his dismay at not being able to get the Francis and Garnu fight done, uh, and that was all down to you know, not being happy with what the UFC were willing to pay for that fight at heavyweight. Then we've had, you know, Jorge Mazadal literally come out and again on Twitter um, share his frustrations with not being able to get the, the fight done with Kamar Usman at the level that he feels as though he should be compensated. And he's essentially said on, on social media that, look, I want to get paid at the very least, what I got paid for the Nate, the Nate Diaz fight, which was for the BMF Championship in Madison Square Garden. And according to him, the UFC's offer was less than that. And he, so he's not happy about that. And then we've had Conor McGregor, of course, you know, tweet out his retirement thing. Now, our good friend Ariel Helwani was able to speak with Conor McGregor um, following that retirement tweet. And if you read the, the actual piece and, and read the kind of quotes... Uh, and the context of that conversation. I think the situation with Conor McGregor doesn't seem to be too much around money. It seems to be more about trying to keep him busy and 
giving him an opponent that he feels as though he should be fighting, and, and, and essentially just getting getting a fight booked, which is like, damn, like how can you not? I mean, if money isn't an issue, get the man a fight. You, you, it's one of your biggest stars. I mean, the biggest star in the history of the sport. He's healthy. He's good to go. Get him a fight. Get him. If, if you're going to move forward with the lightweight division right now, the Khabib and Justin Gaethje, get him Nate Diaz. You know, get him someone. You've got to get your biggest star a fight. Because if, if money isn't an issue, then, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're, we're, we're in a time right now where sports fans, but most importantly, MMA fans in our world, we want the biggest stars to be competing, right? So that, that could be a conversation for another day. But I feel like with the other situation with John Jones and Jorge Masvidal, this isn't new. You and me have been covering this sport for a long time where fighters have come out and you know, shared their dismay with what they should be paid and what they feel like they should be paid. Nate Diaz is one, uh, Randy Couture is another, and the list goes on and on. But Dana White went on First Take, which is a show on, on ESPN in America earlier on today. And, it's, and, it's, and this isn't his first interview. He mentioned it in the post-fight press conference following the end of UFC 250. And his kind of opinion or his kind of take um, and retort to all of these fighters saying they're retired or they're not going to fight or they're going to just chuck up the deuces for the time being is, hey, if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. And he's saying that you've you've signed these contracts as recently as last year, so you're in the middle of a contract, and that's that, basically. That's it. So I don't know how this is going to end, but if history tells us anything, Simon, it usually doesn't end up faring too well for the fighters, unfortunately. You know, and timing is everything. I think when people look at Conor McGregor and what he was able to do with the opportunities he had, you know, when he was on the come up and when he was red hot, the UFC were just at the end of their Fox deal. They were in the middle of selling the company. Um, and Conor McGregor was in this great situation where they needed to, to basically put the UFC in the shop window. And he was their biggest star. So when it, when it came to booking the fights that he wanted then, which was, hey, I want the Nate Diaz rematch because I just lost. You've got it. Hey, I want to fight Eddie Alvarez to become a two-weight champion. You've got it. Hey, I want to fight Conor, you know, Floyd Mayweather on a boxing match. You've got it. Whereas right now, they're in the beginning of this ESPN deal. They're only in year two of that deal. They've since then sold the company. So anyone under contract right now, you've got very, very little leverage. Um, so, you know, Jorge Masvidal's come out in interviews, you know, as big as Sports Center, which is a pretty big deal here um, in, in, in North America, but especially in, in the US. John Jones continues to tweet. And now we've got Conor McGregor, you know, and it's um, as a fan. I mean, I think, Simon, if we just take away our kind of business hats for the time being we we know hey look working in this business working in this industry when the biggest stars are competing it's so much fun it makes our job really really easy um because there's tons to talk about uh, there's lots of content to create it's, it's awesome but when you're john jones of the world conor mcgregor's the jorge masdals and nate diaz's and the, and the list goes on and on aren't booked for a fight it, it it makes it tough but as a fan it's just disappointing it's just disappointing that the two parties, the fighters and the UFC, can't meet and find some middle ground to try and get 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 deals done, you know. And I, I, and I honestly don't know how this is going to end because it feels like John Jones has got money, you know. He's been fighting for a long time. He's pretty good. Jorge Masvidal appears to be good, you know. Um, and he continues to kind of, I guess, um, 
share his thoughts and opinions with regards to what he feels as though he should be paid. But the welterweight championship is now booked, you know, and we're going to get to that a little bit later on. But the UFC seems to be moving forward, Simon, and they don't really feel like they're going to um, backtrack too much you know, too soon. And uh, for them, it's business as usual. And if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. No, it is very interesting because the situation you have here, and Dana has, has sort of tried to hammer this point home. He's like, we're in a pandemic here, he keeps saying. We're in the middle of a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And we're still trying to do our business and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that this is good news for the UFC because it, it, it's not. Because it's not good PR for the UFC. But having some of your best fighters not fighting during a time where you don't get live gates is is not terrible if you can keep if you can keep things moving if you keep things ticking over and keep people happy enough and then bring the big guns back once the crowds are back and you can maybe give them a little bit more of what they're after then then that kind of works out conor mcgregor is a is a, is a man without an identity right now in the ufc with regards to his weight class in regards to his contendership status he all, all he has at this point is his star power which is pretty considerable because it get, it opens a lot of doors for you. He's not on a he, he's on a one fight win streak. All right, he's on a one fight win streak against a guy who's lost a lot of fights. Um, so he hasn't done anything to really get himself into a title conversation. Really, neither at one seventy he hasn't beaten a contender at one seventy, and he he uh, last time he fought at one fifty five, he got his backside handed to him by Khabib Nurmagomedov. So if he wants a title shot. Dana White said to him, "Sit tight, and you can face you can face the winner of Justin Gaethje and Khabib." But he doesn't want to sit tight, so that then raises the question: Okay, well, what does he want? Um, and uh, the other thing with this is Conor McGregor. His base pay, I would imagine, is astronomical, and to do that at a show where there is no gate, to do that where you haven't got the additional revenue streams that you can benefit from when Conor McGregor is fighting, uh, your food and beverage and all that sort of, you know, merchandise, everything that is tied around a Conor McGregor fight goes up by multiples. Um, so it's not just about the bums in seats paying, paying for tickets. It's about everything that those people do. So the fact that none of that is a factor makes it harder for the UFC to pull the trigger on a Conor McGregor fight, I think. Um, because unless unless it really, really makes sense for the UFC, why would they rush to bring him back? That's that's how I kind of see that. Henry Cejudo's in an interesting position because I think Henry Cejudo had reached a point where they really could have done something with him. And then he took himself out of the conversation. So um he's kind of stepped off the he's kind of stepped off the bus Probably a stop too early, I think. Um, as for John Jones and, and Jorge Masvidal, they're in the same boat but different. John Jones, as you say, he is a long-standing champion. He's dominated his division, and there's an awful lot of buzz about him moving up to heavyweight, which needs new contenders. Um, and he's offered to take on the one guy who only insane people would volunteer to fight. Um and that could easily be a title fight. That's the other thing that that, that is, is 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 forgotten about. Steve Miocic is fighting Daniel Cormier. We will talk about this later. But there's a very real possibility that both those guys could retire at the end of that fight. 
So then you've got a vacant championship. Who would be the number one contender? Francis Ngannou. And who is the one guy who has volunteered to step up and not just face Francis Ngannou, but promise to school him? Johnny Bones Jones. That is a huge fight. Slap a championship belt on top of it. You've got yourself an absolutely massive fight. But that's been kind of kiboshed at source. And Jones is just saying, I'm good. I'll sit back. George Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal is a bit different because he's been fighting for 16 years, but it's only now that he's getting the big bank that he's, you know, that that that, that he's fighting has really deserved. So, but again, he's kind of, I don't know if he's 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 fighting a battle he's not going to win. You know, I mean, I would, I would take that if 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 Nate Diaz gets offered to him at this point, I would rip their arm off. If Conor McGregor gets offered to him, I would rip their arm off, because. I think he wins both of those fights and then he really has got some leverage. He really has got some momentum because there will be no, you know, there will be no debating what should be next for him. You know, the world will be calling for him to face Kamara Usman. So, um, and then you're in a title fight where you get a bump in pay anyway. Then you're at the, then you're at the negotiating table and maybe things can get better for you. But um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And the issue here is they have signed contracts. That's the thing. You know, Dana said John Jones has got eight fights left. Jorge Masvidal's got seven fights left. If you've signed a deal that says I I sign a contract to be paid X amount per fight, then that's your baseline. You have to, you know, obviously you can try and negotiate up from that, but you've basically agreed to compete at that baseline number, um, and that's 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 Dana White's position right now, um, and uh, smart on the UFC for getting them on such long contracts, I guess, but. I understand that, you know, if John Jones wants to face Francis Ngannou, he needs some serious danger money to do it. If Jorge Masvidal is going to fight in another big fight, he should be getting really big fight money. So I don't know quite what's going to happen, mate. It's going to be it's going to be really tricky. It's going to be really tricky. Looking at the four of them, I think we'll see. Oh, it is one. Who's going to be the first one back? I'm just looking at the list. I think... I think we might see Jorge Masvidal back first. That's my that's my gut feeling. What do you reckon? That's a great question, and I'm not sure. If I had to guess, I think it might be Connor of of the bunch, because absolutely bang on the money, mate. With regards to yeah, you're, you're going to lose out on gate, merchandise, food and beverage, sponsorship, all the rest of it, right? But what Conor McGregor brings when it comes to pay per view. Um, alone is incredible and I think when your your biggest partner broadcast partner in ESPN Plus is trying to make sure that ESPN ESPN Plus subscriptions month by month keep going up every once in a while you need that big box office attraction and Conor McGregor ticks all those boxes for them you know especially in the current climate that we're in right now and I feel like if the issue with him isn't about money and just getting a fight book for him that appears to be the easiest problem to solve and i also and i also don't feel as though the ufc would be doing themselves any favors by prolonging his next fight uh, to, to say to him oh connor just relax you can fight the winner of justin versus khabib or whatever because who knows what Connor's mood's going to be like in two or three months from now. He wants to fight now. He's good to go now, right? Forget about all this retirement tweet business. That's just him putting something out there. In fact, 
if he had just not even put the word retirement in there and just vented his frustrations to say at Dana White or at the UFC, I want to fight now, get me an opponent. If that's all he said, can you imagine the pressure that the UFC and Dana White would be under right now? Because you'd have all the MMA fans and all the Conor McGregor fans saying, yo, we want to see this guy fight. He wants to fight. What are you guys doing? Stop messing about and get him a fight. That's what it'll be. So I feel like with all, this, all the um, options there, I think Conor would probably be the easiest one to solve. And I hope they do solve the problem because, you know, I want to see Conor fight, you want to see Conor fight, we all do because he's in his prime. He's talented, he's freaking amazing and he brings so much to the table like, you know, when he fights, everyone in the business, everybody in the sport does well. It's a good look for everyone involved. So if I had to guess, I'd say Conor's the one that fights first and gets the, the situation gets solved above the others. Yeah, I think you're right about, and, and I hadn't looked at it in that in that way, but I think you're dead right in so far as his problem is the easiest to solve because I think, yeah, Connor's Connor's issue is one of frustration. He doesn't feel wronged. I don't think, whereas there are issues elsewhere of perhaps feeling wronged. So to win back that trust and to get the deal that you want is one thing. Whereas the UFC just needs to put a fight contract in front of Connor. And in, you know, assuming the name makes sense to him, he's going to, he's probably going to sign it. So be very interesting to see what happens, but big fight bookings are what it is all about for the UFC right now. As you say, ESPN Plus, I'm sure there's a little bit of a little bit of pushback from them to say, look, you know, we don't just want events; we want events that people want to watch. And uh, the UFC is certainly looking to line up a big one on July the 11th. Fight Island is real. We've heard about this. Fight Island is Yaz Island, um, and. Uh, in Abu Dhabi, and uh, we've been there in the past for UFC shows. I think this will probably be the is it their third visit or fourth visit now. Um, we had uh, Khabib versus Dustin Poirier. We had Roy Nelson fought Noguera, and we had Damian Meyer and Anderson Silva all in Abu Dhabi. So this will be the fourth visit, and uh, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns will headline for the UFC Welterweight title. Alexander Volkanovsky will take on Max Holloway in a rematch for the UFC featherweight title. And Peter Yan will take on Jose Aldo for the vacant UFC bantamweight title. All on the same card. You've got Amanda Rebas, Paige Van Zandt. You've got Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz. Uh, Shamel Abdurakimov against Cyril Gane And Vulcan Uzdemir versus Jiri Pro- Prohazga. That is a banger, by the way. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, huge card uh, and they've also announced Stipe versus Daniel Cormier for August the 15th it is all going off um, and uh, it feels like the UFC have got their feet under them now and now they're bringing out the big guns yeah absolutely I mean we'll, we'll get to Miocic and Cormier 3 a little bit later but just focusing on the big announcement from the UFC with regards to Fight Island is you know I don't think it's kind of what people had in mind where they could picture an octagon on a beach and the waves are crashing and you know the palm trees are swaying and, and all that business and it's outdoors. It's going to be in an arena and and essentially what they've got with um, the Abu Dhabi you know tourism board essentially is, is a great partner where they can have this entire island. And there's, there's one part of the press release that went out today that I, that I want to read out so people understand how this is going to work with regards to COVID-19 and, and uh, the safety guidelines and all the rest of it. To accommodate 
existing public health guidelines, DCT Abu Dhabi will create a safety zone within the nearly 10 square mile Yas Island that will include an arena, hotel, training facilities and dining establishments. This safety zone will only be open to UFC athletes and their coaches, UFC staff and other event personnel and Yaz Island employees who are necessary to ensure the operation of the facilities. So, like, it, again, it's a perfect partner. It's in a part of the world where European, Asian, Australian, you know, and, and I guess Brazilian fighters, uh, given the travel restrictions on that part of the world as well, can all fly to set up in advance, get ready for these fights. And to not call these fights out, you know, four weekends back to back makes a lot of sense, right? I will say that the one bit of bad news with regards to the very first event, UFC 251, for everyone listening in the UK, is don't think it's going to be at like 6, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock local time. Oh no, this is a pay-per-view. And so everything needs to be catered to the North American market, especially in the US. So it's going to be the main card is going to be airing like it typically normally does around about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning UK time. So it's almost like... Uh, Bisping Henderson too, Simon. You, you, we were both there. We were catered for that one, and that that was like we when that event ended, we were kind of like walking out, and it was like bright daylight, which is weird. But for everyone that's going to be in Abu Dhabi, the main card in local time Abu Dhabi doesn't start until six a.m., which means by the time Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns actually you know fight, it'll be eight o'clock in the morning, which is going to be bizarre to to say the least. Um, but yeah, look, I think it's great. It's finally out there. We've got all this information. It's a stacked card. Um, I love the Holloway versus Volkanovski rematch. Um, I think that's great, and it's, that's a big one for Holloway. Like, if, if I think if Holloway loses here, you, you just take some time out. You 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 build up your body and you make the move to lightweight um, permanently. Um, obviously, if he wins, then you could perhaps do a trilogy fight down the road, or you can, you know, you can reclaim to be the, the king of the featherweight division. Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo, of course, we knew this is what the UFC wanted to do. They wanted a, a big marquee name uh, in Jose Aldo, and, and even though he technically lost the fight, um, he's got his shot based on his name. Let's just call it like it is. It's because he's a big star in, in the sport and a, and a big name and he's got lots of history with the UFC. That's pretty much the only reason he's got this you know, title shot. You can obviously make the case that, hey, you know, he won the fight even though the judges doesn't, you know, didn't disagree with the, or didn't agree with you there. But you can't. that's not how matchmaking works. You've got to go by results and wins and losses, right? Um, the only fight that is a little bit difficult for me to stomach although i understand why they've done this fight is the main event and that's kamaru usman versus gilbert burns we know now for a number of months dana white the ufc have been trying to get this kamaru usman jorge mazadel fight book we knew when the super bowl was happening back in february dana white said that's the fight july 11th international fight week usman mazadel that's the fight we're working on we also know that talks have broken down you know, negotiation on price uh, and uh, the financial benefits of, you know, the contract haven't gone well. And so they've moved on. Now, a part of me was thinking, well, OK, look, if they can't get this fight booked between Usman and Mavdal, our guy, our fellow Brit, Leon Edwards, he's right in there in the mix. He's like, if you can't make the money fight and you have to look at an opponent based on meritocracy, 
the guy you look to is Leon Edwards. That's the one, that's the guy that's got the best win streak right now of all the available potential contenders. And he's based in the UK. And so I thought to myself, well, he can just fly over to Fight Island and he can fight Kamaru Usman. But apparently, and this is according to a report by our good friend Ariel Helwani, they looked at that option. And, and I remember just this past weekend, you know, on the BT Sport broadcast, Leon Edwards even said, hey, look, I am in conversation with the UFC about potentially getting this Kamaru Usman fight. So we're talking about, in a matter of days, the last 48 to 72 hours, all of this has come together. But according to Ariel Hawani, due to the lockdown and travel restrictions in the UK, that has, for some reason, prohibited Leon Edwards from being in the mix. So I feel for the guy, I really do, because I thought, to myself, if they can't get the Usman fight done, all right, cool, fine. Then Edwards is right in there. They've gone with Gilbert Burns, who is essentially turning out to be employee of the month every month at the moment. He is the UFC company man. And and I'll say this much, good for him. Like he, He's got his opportunity. It'll be fascinating in the respect of, I don't know and I can't recall two fighters who know each other as well as these two do fighting for a title. You can think of Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw. You can think of John Jones versus Rashad Evans. But Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns, they've been training partners for seven plus years. So, and like this fight is taking place in five weeks from now, right? So how much can you really change and adapt and strategize for someone that you know like the back of your hand? So from that aspect, it'll be very, very interesting. But I'll say this much, going back to our previous conversation about fighters being disgruntled with the UFC when it comes to money, Simon, we know this very, very well. There is always going to be that next man up. There is always going to be another guy that the UFC can turn to when they perhaps can't get the money fight made with a draw or a star, right? And there's always going to be someone that's somewhere further down the pecking order that will be happy to take less money than, say, the bigger star, the bigger draw in the, you know, in in that weight division. But for them, it's a big step up, right? So I'm sure Gilbert Burns for this title fight, he's going to get more money. He's got an opportunity to become a UFC champion, and you know, or, you know, when you become a UFC champion, a lot more money comes down the road, and that's a fantastic opportunity for him, for Kamara Usman. I mean, I, I give him credit for taking this fight because, yo, Gilbert Burns, man, that's a tough, tough fight for anyone, let alone someone that knows you better than anybody else in the fight game. I don't know if it's exactly the money fight that he's after. And the thing is, is and, and if you look at Kamar Usman's Twitter feed today, he's kind of having a go at Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, and he's kind of basically trying to put Gilbert Burns over due to his performances, his record, and what he's done lately. That doesn't wash well with me, mate, because guess what? You were trying to get the Jorge Masvidal fight done, and when that was looking like that was, you know, not going to happen, who did you turn to to try and get a fight with? Conor McGregor. So which which is it? Are you trying to get money fights and trying to kind of you know I guess position yourself to get the biggest fights possible, or are you trying to fight the the worthy contenders, the the, the fights that uh, and the fighters that have meritocracy backing their name, you know, and they got a number on that UFC ranking of this. It's one or the other. It can't be both. And just I'd rather him just be honest. Say, yo, we try to get the Usman, um, the 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 Jorge Masvidal fight done. Talks broke down. We then try to go for the Conor McGregor fight because that's the fight I can make the most money in. That didn't work out for whatever reason. So now we're gonna go with Gilbert Burns. But it, it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. So that's my kind of two cents on that, I guess. Yeah, I to I totally agree with that. I mean, 
The thing with Usman, though, he just wants a fight. I mean, no one wants to fight the guy. And now Gilbert Burns has popped up. He's needed his own mate to come up and say, I'll fight. Um, the only other guy who wanted to fight him was Leon Edwards, who for clearly for some, some logistical reason. Um, or perhaps he's not, you know, perhaps he's uh, he's on a higher higher paid contract than Gilbert Burns, maybe. I don't know. Slightly cynical comment, but it might be possible that that is the reason why Burns is getting the shot. But um, yeah, Kamara Usman's got to take what he can get right now. And uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'm going to run through these fights. We've got, how many fights we've got here? One, two, three, four, five, six. We've got seven or eight fights there. I'm going to run through. In fact, we'll include Stipe as well, Stipe and DC. And I'll give you some way too early fight picks so you can run down the bookmakers and put your money on the other guy. All right? Because this is, this is sort of how it works for me. So UFC 251, July the 11th, Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi. We've got a whole load of fights Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Here's what I'm going to do, Sandu, because this is I'm, I'm going to be betting, right? If, if I'm looking at it from a betting perspective, Gilbert Burns is worth a look. I tell you, Gilbert Burns is worth a look because Kamara Usman is not going to want to be on the deck with Gilbert Burns for too long. As good as Kamara Usman's wrestling is, Gilbert Burns is a world-class grappler. You don't want to play around down there. Um, he'll be swimming with a shark. He might be Michael Phelps, but Gilbert Burns is is Jaws when it comes to being on the mat. So um, I like Gilbert Burns' chances in this fight. And I guarantee you he will be a pretty sizable underdog in this. So take a very close look at the odds. I think Gilbert Burns by by uh, by knockout might not be a bad a bad option here. Because I think Usman will want to keep it standing. I think Gilbert Burns has got dynamite in his hands. And uh, I think while he's not known predominantly for knocking people out over recent years he has been doing that so i would i would burns by knockout might be an interesting bet alexander volkanovsky versus max holloway too this for me is so hard to pick it's hard, harder to pick than a broken nose sandy this one because volkanovsky is so so well-rounded he's so strong in all areas and then you've got max holloway who when he's on his game can just outlast just about everybody. But against Volkanovski, he kind of ran into a brick wall. And my rule of thumb with rematches is usually the guy who won the first fight tends to win the second fight. So if I'm going to follow that adage, then I'm going to have to go with Alexander the Great Volkanovski to get it done. Um, but Holloway's been out for a bit. And I'm wondering whether that might not play to his advantage. So we'll have to see. It also depends on where this fight happens. I'm assuming it'll be... Oh, sorry, it's Fight Island, isn't it? So... Um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of acclimatization for Holloway. That's a long trip for him to get to Abu Dhabi. So yeah, give me give me Volkanovski in that one. Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo. This isn't even this isn't even a question for me. Peter Yan knocks out Jose Aldo in this fight. I think I think Yan is outstanding on his feet. I don't think Aldo is going to have too much for him to be honest. I don't think he's as sharp as he used to be. I think Peter Yan is faster. I think he hits harder. He's younger, and I think he's better conditioned. At 135 pounds, Aldo is going to be dry as a bone on weighing day to make 35 on the nose. So uh, he might not even make weight. We just don't know. So hopefully they stick another another bantamweight on there. Well, you've got Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz knocking on the, on, on the door down there. So you never know. You might see PEM versus Frankie Edgar. Who knows? Uh, because I think Frankie Edgar beats Pedro Munoz. I think Amanda Ribas beats Paige Van Zandt. I think Shamil Abdurakimov will probably get knocked spark out by Cyril Cyril Garnay if Cyril is on his game. 
Volkan Ozdemir versus Juri Prohaska. This is as soon as I saw this fight, I I, I was very excited by this because Juri Prohaska is a savage. Came from Rising. Um, Volkan Ozdemir, you know, he's got no time and all of this, and he knocks people out left, right, and center as well. That's a good good fight. I'm going to go with Prohaska to win that one um, by 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 knockout. And then Stipe versus Daniel Cormier three. How on earth do you pick this fight? I mean. Daniel Cormier won the first fight, roughed up Stipe on the inside. Um, and then in the second fight, it was an absolute slobber knocker of a matchup. And then Stipe suddenly turned his attention to Cormier's body and abs- chopped him down, basically chopped him down from the body and uh, finished him. I think, I think I'm going to have to go with Stipe. I think Stipe is the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. I think his record says that. And as good as Daniel Cormier is, and I think he's incredible, I don't necessarily think Daniel Cormier is as close to his fighting peak as Stipe Miocic is right now. And uh, I fancy Stipe to get this one done, assuming that he's able to get a proper fight camp in. Because you know Daniel Cormier is going to be well prepared for this. If Stipe can do that while juggling his other commitments, I think Stipe Miocic finishes Daniel Cormier again. And... uh, lays his gloves and the belt down in the octagon and walks off as the world champion. But uh, they're my way too early picks. I will probably change all of those before fight night. We will we will do some some uh, some more informed picks uh, during fight week ahead of UFC 251. By the way, Sandy, we didn't mention UFC Fight Island. Four events in 14 days. Four events in 14 days. They're going absolutely mad with this. We've got Saturday the 11th, then Wednesday the 15th, then Saturday the 18th, and then the following Saturday the 25th. All at Yaz Island, UFC Fight Island, and uh, those cards are going to start to fill up pretty quickly. Follow your social media and uh, make sure you are on top of all of those bout announcements. They are going to be coming thick and fast. That is UFC 251. But that's a little bit further down the line in the future. Sandu, we've got an event this weekend. Perhaps not the uh, the same level of star power. But this is still an event that I'm going to be watching. And I know it's an event you're still going to be watching. Um, run us through this. Yeah, so again, not the sexiest card on paper. And I guess this is, you know, if you, give an, if you, if you look at what the UFC had to deal with, you know, with the pandemic and the fighters that they have ab- available, we've started to already see so many fighters get a second uh, fight within a matter of weeks. You know, Brian Kelleher is a great example of that from this past weekend. Um, and, you know, with who they have to kind of, I guess, you know, lean on when it comes to marquee names who can headline cards. I can't remember a time where... The UFC have presented a, a fight night card where I guess the main event um, just doesn't have that star power, you know, whether it be a big name, a former champion, whether it's kind of built up as a number one contenders fight or something like that. But we've got Jessica I versus you know Cynthia Calvillo, which in its own right, it's a fine fight. Don't get me wrong, it's an absolutely fine fight. You you've got Jessica I. She's coming off a, a unanimous decision win against Vivian Araujo. But I feel like with Cynthia Calvillo, she's been one of Dana's fighters. You know, she's she's always been a favourite of Dana's. She's been 
a fighter that Dana White has thought could really go a long way and become a big star in the division. You know, she she had that one loss to, to Carla Esparza, but it was a decision. She hasn't been finished. And she's coming off uh, a, a majority draw uh, situation and result against Marina Rodriguez. But prior to that, she had a couple of wins under her belt. I feel as though the ceiling is still pretty high on, on Cynthia Calvillo. You know, she's... Even though she's 32, she doesn't really have that many miles on her, you know, in terms of damage sustained and injuries and, and, and all the rest of it, right? Um, so it's it's an intriguing matchup. I mean, you know, I don't know what a win does for Jessica I in terms of trying to get another title shot anytime soon. I, don't, I think she's far, far away from getting a title shot. I think with Cynthia Calvio... A win here at least puts her back on the right path in terms of getting back in the win column um, and continuing to ride, I guess, uh, some momentum that she's built up over the last couple of years. So that's the main event. Um, looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Of course, we're the hardcore fight fans, right? So we're going to be watching every card regardless. Um, I'll t tell you what, though. I am looking forward to seeing um, Carl Robinson versus Marvin Vittori. Uh, I'm actually pretty high on Marvin Vittori. I feel like he's someone that at his age at 26 still has uh, a lot to improve but you know I know he's got a lot of decisions on, on on his resume but I do like his style and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do and, and you know opposite him in Carl Robertson another guy man tell you what Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series has produced some good talent now since he was actually signed to the UFC after his performance um, on, on the Contender Series it's been a little bit up and down um, you know he he, he he got a few losses under his belt to Cesar Ferrara and Glover Teixeira, but he's turned it around and, and he's got a few wins under his belt. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how he performs here as well. And again, I think when you look at the main event and co-main event, there's Dana White's kind of fighters that he likes. Again, Cynthia Calavilla, Dana White's uh, one, of, one of his favorites. And, and also, you know, Marvin, uh, Carl Robertson, who's coming from the Contender Series. That's one of Dana White's guys as well. And I think they've put them in these you know, situations and some good matchmaking on their part that these are potentially fights that can propel them to, to another level. But overall, look, I think this would be one of those cards where when we talk about uh, and when we record our podcast next Tuesday, hopefully it's a card that we can reflect on that might have some good finishes and some good storylines. But, but right now... When we, as we're recording this episode on Tuesday of this week, it's not, you know, we're not overwhelmed with storylines and angles and hype and emotion, and we'll see how Fight Week plays out. But, but right now, hey, look, it's a fight night card on a Saturday night when there's not much other sport around, so we'll be tuning in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jessica I um, is the number one contender at women's flight in, in the women's flyweight division. I think it's easy for people to forget that. Um, she's still ranked number one in the women's 125 pound division. Obviously she had that absolutely brutal head kick knockout at the, uh, the hands. Well, the feet of uh, Valentina Shevchenko, but that's her only defeat at 125 pounds since she moved up. Um, she had a horrible run at Bantamweight. She lost like four in a row. And it was like, Oh, blimey, what's she going to do? I'm going down to flyweight and uh, she's looked way, way better at 125 pounds. And uh, Cynthia Calvillo is now moving up to 125 pounds, having competed at strawweight. I think she missed weight quite badly for a previous fight. Um, and uh, now she's moving up to uh, to 125. 
how good will she look? I think, you know, without the pressure of the weight cut or without having to cut as much, we might see the best Cynthia Calvillo we've ever seen. And that would make for a pretty good fight with Jessica I. I mean, I, we know what she's going to do. She's going to stand and strike and keep moving around. She's got pretty good boxing. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo, striking's all right, but her bread and butter is on the ground. So it's, it's that it's that age-old game of chess, striker versus grappler. Can Calvillo get inside and work her strikes to get close enough to get eye to the mat? And is eye smart enough to keep things on the back foot and uh, pick off Calvillo on the way in? Should be a good fight. I am, I'm actually looking forward to that fight. I'm also looking forward to the bantamweight fight um, in the middle of that main card. Merab Dvalishvili against Ray Borg. Borg has been around for ages. He challenged for the for the flyweight title uh, against Demetrius Johnson. Um, and uh, Merab is a solid, solid competitor. He lost a couple, but um, he, he he's a very, very solid operator. Tends to get it done on the scorecards. If there was one criticism you could level at him, is that he maybe doesn't get enough finishes to really catch the eye. But he's very, very solid. A win over Ray Borg really makes some noise at 135. Jordan Espinosa versus Mark De La Rosa could be a lot of fun opening the card as well. Two, maybe not household names at Bantamweight. That will be a fun fight, trust me. And anytime Andre Feely is fighting, um, you know you're going to get a good fight. Andre Touchy Feely against Charles Jourdain. Um Look out for some fireworks in that fight because Feely always brings it. Every time I've seen him, I've never seen Feely in a bad fight. And uh, some interesting, interesting bouts on the pre- on, on the preliminary card. Boston Strong, Charles Rosa looking to bounce back after being utterly dominated by Bryce Mitchell just a couple of weeks back. Um, or it feels like only a couple of weeks back. Um, he takes on Kevin Aguilar. That'll be a good fight. Junior Avila taking on Gina Mazzani. Ryan Benoit versus Tyson Nam could be uh, could, could be fun at 125. And Jordan Griffin versus Derek Minner kicks things off uh, at featherweight. We've also got three other fights that have been booked. I don't know where they're going to slot in on the card. Ariane Lipsky is booked to face Luana Carolina. Hannah Siffers, who fought last week, uh, is back to face Maria Agapova. She stepped in, uh, literally turning it around back to back. Uh, all credit to her. Um, she's coming back in. And uh, Christian Aguilera, who I just see Christina Aguilera every time I see the name written down on the screen, taking on Anthony Ivey, who might be one to watch at 170. So uh, they're, the, they're the bouts that we've got coming up for UFC. It's called, I think the official title will be UFC on ESPN 10. I think that's the official the official title. Um, and uh, that's coming from the Apex on Saturday night. That'll be on the UFC Fight Pass over here in the UK. Uh, and with the main card on BT Sport and uh, stateside, it'll be presumably ESPN Plus all the way, will it? Yeah. So um, plenty. Well, I mean, you know, it's not A list MMA necessarily, but um, you know, you're getting you're getting a dozen or so fights on a Saturday night. What else are you going to do with your time? Tune in, watch it, listen to the podcast next week, and we'll talk all about it. Um, that is pretty much. All we've got this week, Sandu. Yeah, that's right. One other note uh, I have to say. That small cage in the Apex is uh, is definitely starting to deliver the goods, is it? Awesome. Yeah. It is. I mean, I think someone said it is... I can't remember what they said. It's like It works out it's like 10 feet smaller or something across. Um, but it really makes a difference. And uh, I think it makes... I think it makes the lighter weight fights better. Because it doesn't just turn into a track meet where they're running around using all that space. And it makes the bigger fight, like like the fights with the bigger guys, 
like a fight in a phone booth because there really is as we I think we referenced Martha and the Vandellas on last week's show there is nowhere to run in that small cage and uh you know we haven't got too many too many big I think the uh the welterweight bout between Aguilera and Ivy um oh no there's a middleweight bout co-main event that's the biggest the uh, the biggest biggest fight on the card in terms of weight Robeson and, and Vittori and both of those guys love to stand and bang anyway so I don't think they need a big cage they'll just stand and sort of wail away at each other until someone falls flat so um, it should be I, I think I think it's going to be a decent night of fights people might complain and bitch about it and say oh where's the stars the stars are coming the stars are coming hold tight they're coming to Fight Island and I'm sure there will be some big ones coming to, to Vegas as well Stipe versus Cormier will almost certainly be stateside um, so fear not we are getting fights every week you're getting four fights in two weeks. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, I'm not arguing. It keep it keeps me in a job, so I'm happy. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how things develop with some of the bigger stars. On that note, over the next seven days, because from all of the announcements we got today, the UFC schedule for July and August is pretty much locked in with lots of champions, lots of title fights, and a lot of their bigger stars or their their major names. So at least for the time being, Simon, the next couple of months, the UFC are good. Now, the earlier kind of issue that comes from having three title fights on one card is um, the results of those fights, injuries, how quickly those champions can turn around to fight again. You know, sooner or later, and this is more so with regards to their pay-per-views, they're going to need to kind of try and get as many title fights on there. They usually go for at least one or two per pay-per-view. And every now and then they do have a pay-per-view with a, a non-title fight. But that's when you're looking at a Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz or, you know, someone like a Jorge Masvidal or someone like that, right? So I know they're trying to get that Khabib-Justin Gaethje fight sorted out for September. So the next few months, there's definitely going to be lots of title fights, lots of good fights on pay-per-views. Do they necessarily have the biggest names in the UFC roster? That's arguable. Probably not in, mo- in some cases, in most cases. But... We talked about it over the last couple of weeks and this whole story, this this narrative, this kind of this major topic in 2020 where there's almost like a, a revolt of some of the biggest stars in the UFC going against the company grain and doing it publicly is something that's going to be interesting to monitor. And I feel like every single day there's a, a new development and I'm, and I'm certain that come next Tuesday we're going to have a lot more to digest and discuss given what more comes out of some of these interviews and and social media posts and and, and all the rest of it so but yo this this is a packed show this week uh, i can't believe we were able to cram everything into it and for everyone that's listening yo if you're on apple and and you're listening to us on, on apple podcast do us a favor drop us a little rating give us a review that really really helps us on Apple Podcasts and it helps the algorithm and helps push us up uh, the rankings and, and gets us noticed more on that platform. Uh, for those of you on Spotify listening, thank you so much. Spotify is definitely the other big platform in the audio world uh, when it comes to podcasts and music and, and all the rest of it. So Apple and Spotify are definitely number one and number two. And if you're listening on any, any other platform, whether it's Stitcher, Google, thank you so much. We appreciate it. If they have some sort of functionality where you can drop us a rating or a review or a thumbs up, a like, whatever it is, please go ahead and do that. It really does help us. Uh, it's, it takes 30 seconds on your part, but it's super supportive to both myself and Simon and the show. Uh, but ultimately, 
where we would love for everyone to go to, and, uh, and I say this all the time, I say it every week, take the time, go to the Britpack.substack.com. Substack is a fantastic platform. It's growing all the time. We're seeing a lot of journalists, members of the media, content creators really start to kind of funnel their content on Substack. And that is where we've kind of decided, um, you know, where the headquarters of the Britpack is going to be uh, now and for, for the future. So the Britpack.substack.com is a place where we'd love for you to go ahead and subscribe, drop your email. We do have plans to evolve uh, the show, especially on Substack, when it comes to getting you guys more involved with us, when it comes to questions and comments and polls and surveys and, and all the rest of it. So please go ahead and do that. And if you want to follow uh, myself, Simon, or the show on social media, it's at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. I'm Sandu MMA across all social media platforms. And it's at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sports on Instagram for my friend on the other side of the pond. There you go. And uh, if you if you don't have a, a means to review us, um, but you want to show us some love, just hit us up on social media. We live on social media. Um, I even had a even had a tweet. I think it was Dave the Hedgehog. I think he's I think his name was. Shout out to Dave the Hedgehog, who uh, pointed out to me that I somehow had a brain fart during uh, the last the last show, and I referenced the San Diego Chargers, who do not exist. They are now, of course the Los Angeles Chargers. I knew that. I know this. I watch NFL Network every day. They are NFL Network is my soundtrack when I'm working. For whatever reason, I said San Diego Chargers are lapsed back into 1985 Simon Head instead of uh, 2020 Simon Head and had a brain fart live on, uh, on, on last week's show. But feedback is a gift. I was grateful to hear about it and uh, it was, it was kind of funny when I heard it. So, um, Thank you today for uh, for getting in touch. Hit us up on social media if you've got any questions you want on the show. Hit us up if it's something you want us to talk about. Is something a bit out of left field that maybe isn't part of the usual the usual news cycle? Then uh, hit us up about that. We can we can try and work some of that stuff in. And uh, I think we're getting to the stage where we might start to open up a few bits and pieces, get you guys involved in a few more things, and uh, see if we can start to build this thing in the coming weeks maybe ahead of the first fight island show maybe that might be a, a, a good thing to build up to so uh, thank you to everybody for subscribing thank you to everybody for listening uh, and until next time enjoy the fights and we'll speak to you next week Bye.